right. Um, Please pray with me. Let the good news come now, O Lord, not in word only, but in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. We are um, we are uh, concluding our conversation that we've been engaged in for the last several um, Are we having trouble back there? Uh, there we go. So, all right. Uh, so we are we are concluding our conversation in Leviticus, um, and uh, we've been doing this for the last several weeks, and uh, we are going to uh, wrap it up today. And the reason we've been studying Leviticus isn't because um, it's everybody's natural uh, choice for a, for a source. You know, I don't think if you were to uh, flip through many Bibles, they would open up naturally to Leviticus. But but um, we are not looking for rules that we can follow. We're looking for wisdom, and and we know that for three thousand years, people have turned to uh, the the Old Testament law um, along with all of the books of the the scriptures, the holy uh, the the Hebrew Scriptures as well as the New Testament, looking for uh, wisdom um, about how to navigate life in this world and our hope for uh, the world to come. So people are looking for wisdom. Now, we don't have to look at these these rules as rules because uh, as Christians, we believe that Jesus has fulfilled the law and uh, he gave us in, in its place a new commandment, the commandment to love one another and to love God. Uh, the, the law of love. So we're not looking for rules. We're looking for wisdom. We're not looking for uh, what to do, and, and we're not even looking for how to do it, but but why to do it. We're looking at these these rules to to see um, uh, what do they tell us uh, about God that God cares about these things. You know, why why would God care? We we looked at gleaning, for example. Why would God care about gleaning? And and we saw the reason was to to uh, look after the poor, but it was also to teach the lesson that. That um, sometimes we can we can um, make room in our lives that help other people to thrive. So by gleaning, we we leave some some work undone that the poor can then prosper from. We looked at the idea of jubilee, the idea that that everybody uh, sometimes needs a, a do over, and that we can arrange our lives in such a way that that people who have made a terrible mistake or maybe five or ten terrible mistakes, they can have a do-over if that's at all possible. We looked at the idea of tattooing and we saw that that uh, what it was about, among other things, is the idea that God likes you. That, that if you want to adorn your body, that's fine, but don't do it to make God like you because God already likes you. And then last week we looked at mixtures. We looked at the idea that, that um, God wants his cake and to eat it as well. God wants unity and diversity. And in, in, in a world where we get unity through uniformity and we get diversity through through divergence, God wants unity and diversity. God made us each unique um, uh, because he likes us that way. So we've been looking at it and not just seeing the particular rules about you know different kinds of fabric and so forth, but actually what what might be, be the, the the deeper idea behind that. And and so we've been reading uh, uh, Leviticus almost the way we might read the book of Proverbs. That there's just an interesting little insight there. And if we if we read it and then chew on it for a while and and maybe um, let it let it work it, it it's itself inside of us i was thinking of you know the the great example is the the oyster it 
gets a piece of sand in it, and then you know, some long time later it becomes a pearl. And maybe we can we can get some pearls of wisdom that way. So that's the reason we've been doing um, our our uh, study of Leviticus. And today we're going to wrap it up, not because we're done, but because we're done for now and probably forever. Um, but <laughs> it's it's a big book, and we will never get through it. So um, so uh, we're going to look today at um, one last. Uh, um, grain of sand in the book of Leviticus and try and figure out where is the oyster, uh, where is the, where is the pearl in this. So, so we're looking at Leviticus 19 again. We're looking at, um, verses 11 through 13. And the first two verses, 11 and 12, they don't give us any trouble at all. I mean, they, they may give us trouble, but we're, we're familiar with the idea. Um, uh, it says, you must not steal or deceive or lie to each other. You must not swear falsely. By my name, desecrating God's name and doing so, I am the Lord. So this is a straightforward application of the of the big ideas that we find in the in the um, uh, the Ten Commandments that that we're not supposed to steal, we're not supposed to bear false witness, and we're not supposed to uh, use the Lord's name in vain. So there's nothing surprising here. Now it may not be easy, but it's but it's um, not surprising. But then it goes on. It says, "You must not oppress your neighbors or rob them." Okay, well, I can see how that develops right out of the the first uh, two verses. So I get that. But then it says, do not withhold a hired laborer's pay overnight. So don't withhold a hired laborer's pay overnight. Well, why does that matter? Why Why is that an issue? And just out of curiosity, how many people... Um, I don't know how many people are still working, how many people are retired, but but uh, the last job you had, did you get paid every day? Okay, me neither, right? Uh, you know, it's been a long time since I had a job where I got paid the same day. In fact, I was trying to think about it. You know, one of the one of the things that is great about this calling, one of the reasons I, I am grateful to be a, a, a pastor in this tradition, is that we have the idea of um, uh, the clergy are called to a particular. Um, uh, we don't have. Clergy, excuse me, that that people like me, uh, 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 teaching elders, are called to a to a particular ministry, and the church um, uh, commits to paying paying them a salary. So I'm a paid I'm a paid employee of the church because of your generosity. It's one of the things you pay for. But I know there are other churches where the pastor doesn't have any commitment in terms of how much money they're going to be making and so forth. And I know that there are some churches because of that where the pastor really depends on the money they make um, from uh, weddings and funerals. And that's not my situation. I'm in the enviable position to be able to say, you know, there is no charge for a funeral or a wedding from me. You know, I, I've accepted gifts, gifts in the past, but I don't need it. It's not payment for me. And I know it is for some people. But if you put that to one side, if you if you put that apart, I think the last time I got paid the same day I did the job was um, when I was mowing lawns as a teenager. So it's just not something that, that has been an issue for me. I work in a church, and here we are in, in a church, the house of God, and here we are violating this rule every every time I get paid. So what's up with that? Why do we have this rule? Um, or, as I said, we're not looking for rules to follow, so I'm not saying you know we need to change this. I'm saying, why why is this rule here? What does it tell us? Well, as I mentioned to the, the children, it, it tells us that time is money, that that, um, that, uh, that that these things matter. Maybe they don't matter to us, but they might matter to the other person. So um, <clears throat> one of the things we can see, um, uh, oftentimes, 
you know, if you've got a study Bible and they've got the little columns of uh, cross-references on the side, sometimes if you're puzzled by something in one place, that's a good place to look. It's like maybe there's some other passage that sheds some light on this. And we see that in this case, that um, there's a similar uh, rule in the book of Deuteronomy. And um, it's much the same idea, but it gives us some explanation, which this one doesn't. This one just says, do it. Um, but in Deuteronomy, it says, you shall give him his wages on the same day before the sun sets. In case you're curious, what do I mean by same day? I don't mean midnight, right? I mean, you know, in Alaska, 3.30, right? So, um, so before the sun sets, for he is poor and counts on it, lest he cry out to you against you to the Lord and you be guilty of sin. So it, there's an explanation and kind of a motivation, right? It's not enough to know why you should do it. It's also, and God's watching. He's going to, he's going to cry out to God and, um, you will be guilty of sin. So, so there's more explanation in Deuteronomy. So basically the idea is, how would you feel if this situation was reversed? This is essentially the, the golden rule. Jesus comes along later and, and uh, codifies it as the golden rule. He says, you should treat people in the same way that you want people to treat you. This is the law and the prophets. So you need to remember the golden law, that a golden rule. That's our first. That's our first point, right? It may not matter to you. Now, sometimes it does matter to you. You actually are working some kind of a scam. You're going to cheat them. Uh, you're you're trying to make them come back in the morning, right? They've been working for you all day, and you say, "I'll pay you in the morning," right? Why would you do that? So they don't go work for somebody else, right? They have to come back to your place instead of going to the the job market where where people find work. You're basically excluding them from the labor force, right? But I mean, even assuming that, that you're not trying to work some kind of an angle to to oppress them, even then, it's just they don't have your resources. You know, whatever your situation is, you're a farmer and you hire some people to help with you, uh, to help out, right? That means you've got a farm, right? You may be as poor as they are, but you've got an asset. You can borrow money against it. They have nothing. So, Keep that in mind. Don't hire them unless you're able to pay them because then, then they will have something that you don't have, which is, um, which they don't have, which is money. So, so remember the golden rule. Now, we don't know how well observed this was. One of the things we've seen in Leviticus is some of the rules are aspirational. This is what you should be doing, and we don't know how well they were observed. We do know, at least in a couple of cases, some of the prophets and some other writings in the Hebrew Scriptures tell us about people who were not observing them. For example, we see in the book of Jeremiah, um, God God uh, is noticing what what, Jer- uh, what um, Jehoiakim, one of the kings of Israel, uh, kings of Judah, is doing, and... Um, uh, God, through the prophet, speaks this uh, curse to him. He says, How terrible for Jehoiakim, who builds his house with corruption and his upper chambers with injustice, working his countrymen for nothing, refusing to give them their wages. God has noticed that he is he is either just flat out not paying them, or he's saying, you know, come back, you know, and I'll pay you, you know, once I have the money or something like that. So, And, and Jeremiah says flat out, How terrible it will be for you. Woe to Jehoiakim. This is not something that God takes lightly. Uh, we don't know how often it happened, but but um, we don't know we don't know how often it happened then. And we've already seen. I kind of took that little poll, and it doesn't look like it's happening much today. Um, uh, and so we can ask ourselves, well, why do we even care? Is this just kind of a 
interesting thing about about a previous culture. I mean, do we even need this kind of thing today, right? We've got a, a social safety net today, and we've got all kinds of protections for, for workers. We have organized labor, for example, that you may belong to a union that is looking out for situations like this. And we've got we've got legislation, we've got we've got laws and we've got regulatory agencies that that try to uh, uh, make it safe and, and um, Affair for people who are workers. So, so maybe this isn't important. But as I was, I was uh, talking about this with my son, he mentioned, yeah, but there's payday lending. And I thought, that's true. You know, there is, there is a demand for people to get money right now. It's like, I can't wait till payday. I need the money right now. And, and I don't know all the reasons that may be. Right, but people want it, and they're willing to pay a premium. I mean, it's pretty pretty uh, expensive. Payday loans are so so. There must be still some kind of demand. And again, I'm not trying to propose some kind of a policy. We need to implement this legislation or something. I'm just saying, there still seems to be some kind of demand, even in our society today, with with all of the the protections we have that they didn't have in that time. So so um, maybe it would be useful to do something like that or to think in those terms as a, as a society. But realistically, I'm not thinking it's going to happen. Uh, you know, it may be good, but my guess is that people will go on getting payday loans when they're, you know, they have a flat tire and they need to fix it or, you know, they bounce a check and you know, something like that. So um, my guess is that, is that, um, uh, we're not going to see a change, um, and r- realistically, I mean, I can imagine lots of um, you know. I used to work in computers. I can imagine uh, you know the accounting would be more complicated, but um, but I also think it would just be socially more difficult. Jesus tells that parable about the the workers who are all getting paid at the end of the day, which would have been typical in his culture. And what do they do? They start arguing over who got paid and how much they deserved, right? Well, he didn't work as much as me. Picture that in your last workplace. Picture it not with the people you got along with, but the ones you didn't, right? And you're all lined up. The boss is, you know, counting out 20s or something. And you're going, what? They get that much money or something like that. You can imagine there's a lot of practical reasons why I don't see this happening. Um, basically, though, <laughs> not least the one that Jesus identified is that we do tend to look at other people and say, hey, how come they're getting paid that much? So I don't see it changing. So is that it? We just kind of say, well, maybe it would be useful. Wouldn't be payday lending. You know, maybe it, you know. We've got enough legislation now. We don't need to change anything. You know, do we just kind of shrug and say, well, I don't know. You know, well, obviously the first thing is we don't oppress our workers and you just have to figure out what that means, right? What, what that is in your own, in your own particular world. Um, but, but I was thinking, you know, remember this is a grain of sand that just kind of works on you. And I was thinking to myself, okay, all right. I haven't oppressed any workers lately that I'm aware of, but how many times do we say, I'll make it up to you, right? How many times have we done some kind of a decision and maybe we knew up front or maybe it dawned on us later that, oops, you know, I I said I would do that and, and I didn't and I'm sorry and I will make it up for you. And just ask yourself, how many times do I say that? You know, what was the impact the last time I said that? How did it land on the other person? I'll make it up to you. So if instead of thinking about this as, as just about work, think about it as your, your responsibilities, the things you've made commitments to do, the places you've made commitments to be, and you say, oops, can't do them both. All right, well, um, 
they will understand. You know, they they will forgive me. I'll make it up to them. Something we see all through the, um, really, all through the the um, scriptures, but it really jumps out at you. I, I've read more Leviticus in the last uh, two months than than I ever thought I would read. Um, so I, I've read it a lot, um, and something that that comes through as you read through the um, the book of Leviticus is this idea of do it today. There's there's um, we, we see we see. Um, there's a couple of there's like over a hundred places where uh, Leviticus talks about uncleanness, and I have avoided those because because it's a whole topic. It's not the same thing as sinfulness, but there's some overlap. That there are things you can do that would make you ritually unclean. It simply means you can't participate in the worship of the community, and some of them are sinful and some of them are not, and and so it's a complicated thing, and some of them really are difficult to understand, and. Um, what you see, though, is that usually there, there's a remedy and then a period of time during which you're, you're unclean. Now, the remedy may simply be wait until that time is over, or it may be offer this particular sacrifice or things like that. But what we see is that they're time limited. There's this idea of do the thing, and then it will be over. So, for example, I looked at, um, there's, a, there's a passage in um, Leviticus 11 where it's talking about um, uh, one of the ways you get... You get um, Unclean is by encountering dead dead things. So um, it's talking about here um, of the small moving creatures. So think about rodents or lizards, things like that, small moving creatures. Um, uh, of all the small moving creatures, these are unclean to you. And it's about to give a list, which we're going to skip. Um, uh, anyone who touches them when they are dead will be unclean until evening. So there's a lizard on your path. It's like, uh So you, you get rid of it. But now you're unclean until evening. There's nothing sinful about it, but... You're unclean until evening. So you do the thing you're required to do. You do it that day. You wait it out. There's other things where you actually have to go offer some sacrifice or something, and you're unclean until evening. Uh, that passage goes on um, in verse 39. It says, uh, if one of the animals you're normally allowed to eat, so, you know, uh, sheep or something like that, you're allowed to eat these animals, but if it dies naturally, it's just you go out to the field and, you know, uh, babe is, well, babe's a pig. Anyway, all right. So... <laughs> Old yeller, you know. I mean, I'm trying to think of an animal that that you know. Anyway, whatever. So there's an animal um, in your in your farm, and it has died. Um, uh, I don't know whether moose are clean or not. Um, I'd have to check. Do they have divided hooves? Anyway, I'm, I'm, this is don't don't wing it, Luke. Stop. Um, so um, you know, but but you hear about the the roadkill moose, and then the you know the state troopers say come and come and you know saw this thing apart. He says if. If that is, and I don't know, if one of the animals you're normally allowed to eat dies naturally, anyone who touches its dead body will be unclean until evening. So finish cutting it up that day, which maybe for a moose is a real challenge. But but do it that day because you'll also be unclean tomorrow if you touch it tomorrow. So don't, don't, don't deal with the dead body. So it goes on. You'll be unclean until evening. Um, anyone who eats from the dead body must wash their clothes. So there's the remedy. And you will be unclean until evening. Anyone who carries such a dead body must wash their clothes and be unclean until evening. Over and over again, I counted 25 times, 26 times, excuse me, um, in Leviticus where it talks about um, uh, doing something uh, as a remedy for uncleanness and you are unclean until evening. 
And I was thinking, you know, that is that is such a powerful idea throughout the scriptures. We see over and over again this idea of if there's a responsibility, do it that day. Don't drag it out until tomorrow. There's there's a, a great passage. One of the one of the funniest things I've ever seen in the Bible. Um, Moses is is uh, visiting plagues, or God God is visiting plagues, and Moses is explaining the plagues to Pharaoh because Pharaoh will not let the people of Israel go. And um, uh, there's a, currently a plague of frogs, and there's frogs hopping around in the king's bedchamber and so forth. And the king says, you know, can you get rid of these frogs? And Moses says. Um, have it your way, when should I pray for you and your officials and your people to remove the frogs? And Pharaoh says, tomorrow. And if there's one lesson you can take from the book of Exodus, it's whatever Pharaoh does, don't be that guy, right? Don't be Pharaoh, right? So if Pharaoh says tomorrow, the lesson is, no, do it right now. Why would you want to have the frogs hopping in your bedroom all night, right? Let them... You know, go, right? So, but Pharaoh doesn't behave intelligently. Pharaoh is hard-hearted. So, so don't be like Pharaoh. And Jesus talks, of course, uh, about getting your priorities straight. God can wait. God can wait. Can you imagine? Jesus has, has the nerve to tell people that God will wait while you sort things out with your brother or sister, right? That's, that's an amazing statement about, about God. But God is eternal. God can wait. And maybe your brother or sister can't because time is money. Because they need that thing to be sorted out maybe more than you do. So there's this idea, if you have a responsibility, deal with it. Deal with it right now. Don't put it off indefinitely. So Jesus says, leave your gift at the altar and go. First make things right with your brother or sister and then come back and offer your gift. And uh, we just know, I mean, in general, that's probably good for our health, um, our, our mental health. Um, but, you know, we hear about things, you know, don't, you know, people got an ulcer or something like that. So it may be healthier than that. So um, don't don't put things off. The Apostle Paul says in his letter to the Ephesians, he says, be angry without sinning. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. There are things in this world that may cause you heartburn. They may make you furious. And, and that's going to go on happening. You know, just because you're a follower of Jesus doesn't mean, you know, it's going to be all smooth sailing. But he says, if you get angry, you know, don't let it develop into something that causes you to sin. You know, I'm keying their car or something like that. Don't do that, right? Don't sin. But whether or not you're able to do that, to deal with that, whether you're able to resolve it or anything else, whatever you have to do, don't go to bed with that anger. Maybe you can resolve it today, or maybe what you can do today is forgive it. Just say, look, I never was able to do anything with that. So I'm just going to let it go. But he says, don't go to bed angry. And Jesus says, stop worrying about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Trust me, Jesus says, you're getting plenty of problems tomorrow. I've checked. They're coming. Okay? So the last thing you want to do is push today's troubles out there so you get like a double whammy. Right? There's going to be plenty of trouble for you tomorrow. Don't push today's troubles out. So, for all these reasons, we see over and over again throughout the scriptures, the Old Testament and the New, don't put off your responsibilities. Deal with them to the greatest extent you can in real time. So, if you find yourself saying, I'll make it up to them, 
They'll understand. If you find yourself saying these things, ask yourself, maybe I shouldn't be doing that. Maybe my problem is I'm trying to do too much. You know, we say, look, there's not enough time for me to do all the things that I, you know, all my commitments. I can't put them off. I can't help. I have to put them off till another day because there's too many, right? There's, there's not enough hours in the day. And of course, we know there's always 24 hours in the day. That's not the problem. So that's our way of saying, I've taken on too much. So maybe what you need to do is just get rid of some things. And I don't know, maybe I'm the only one, but they, t- they, they, they tell us in preacher school that sometimes the person who needs to hear the sermon the most is the preacher. So um, certainly this is something I know I need to deal with. So I take on too much. I was going to bring in, I've got a list, I've got a list of not church stuff, but stuff I'm trying to do at home, you know, projects I'm working on and so forth. It occupies a full page in the spiral notebook, and I put it together last um, last uh, uh, December, and I was looking to see how many of them I've checked off, so out of about 25 things, I've checked off five. So um, I take on too much, you know, my little projects, uh, they, they don't get done as quickly as they need to. So... Maybe we need to take on less. Maybe we need to say, look, if I can't do it today, then I'm just not going to say yes. Or maybe I have to say yes to that, in which case I'm going to find something else in that list and I'm going to say, not going to get to it. But don't push things out until the next day. And maybe this is the kind of thing that makes you say, well, you know, that's all great in your Jesus fantasy land. But here in the real world, it doesn't work that way. Here in the real world, sometimes we have to take on more than we can chew. Even if we know it, that something's going to break, we say, look, I just have to do it. I know I'm going to be telling somebody, I'll make it up to you. If that's the case, I want to assure you, this is not a time management seminar. See, we are followers of Jesus. We are putting into practice the things that Jesus has taught us. He said, trust me. Do you trust me? And so if you find yourself in the place where I have more than I can possibly do, and I can't see any way to get rid of anything, Jesus says, I know someone. In the Psalms we read, cast your burden on the Lord. He will support you. God will never let the righteous be shaken. So maybe this is a place where we just have to say, look, I can't do it. And we don't tell it to our friends or our spouse. We tell it to God. We say, God, I've taken on too much. I I cannot do the things that need to be done. What should I do? And then listen. Because God may show you what to do. God may say, actually, you really can let that one go. Or God may say, okay, um, <laughs> wait for a phone call, three, two, one. And your boss says, you know, the the presentation's been canceled. You know, who knows, right? At least give God the chance to say no, right? Give God that opportunity to help, right? So bring it before God. Cast, Cast your burdens on God, and he will support you. And I want to say one more thing on this topic. And it kind of fights with, and I was debating this, right? But maybe what God will say is, Push it out till tomorrow. Maybe God will actually say that. That, that you did your best, you, you know, even with God helping, there was no way to get that workload done today. It just couldn't happen. 
And God may say, here's what you should do. Go to sleep. It's one o'clock. You need to get some rest. Go to sleep. The psalmist says, I lie down and sleep and wake up because the Lord helps me. Think that over. What would it be like if maybe while you're asleep, God worked on your thing, whatever it may be, whatever that, whatever that obligation, that, that responsibility is. Maybe God can be at work. I heard a prayer and I've tried to recreate it, uh, inexpertly several times, but it's this idea of when, when I go to bed, um, I give my burdens to God. And when I wake up, I check them because God has been at work and I will find that they're lighter. God's been working all night. God doesn't rest. God doesn't sleep. If we give our burdens to God and God tells us, okay, you've done enough. I've got it from here. Then in the morning, our burdens might be lighter. So the last thing is weigh your burdens each morning because maybe God's been at work on them. Don't oppress your workers. Time is money. But if you find yourself saying, they'll understand, I'll make it up to them. Ask yourself, am I doing that? Because this is not all about workplace standards. It's about you sleeping at night. It's about them getting the part of you that you have promised to give them. Let's pray. Gracious God, We thank you that Jesus has fulfilled the law. These, these rules and the other 613 commandments in the, in the law. And in its place, he's given us a much simpler law, the law to love you and love our neighbors. We ask, Lord, that you would guide us, um, as we attempt to carry out that law. But we pray, Lord, that whatever we have taken from this, uh, uh, survey of the book of Leviticus, that you will um, work in us like like that um, sand in, a, in an oyster to produce pearls so that we can be wise in how we carry out the law of love. We pray these things through Christ our Lord. Amen.